Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. my friends who listen to Future Primitive. I'm on the phone with director Tao Ruspoli. Movie Maker magazine has singled out Tao as one of the 10 young filmmakers to watch. His feature narrative debut, Fix, screened at the Slamdance and Santa Barbara International Film Festival, where he was awarded the Heineken Red Star Award for Most Innovative and Progressive Filmmaker. His well-known documentary, Just Say No, K-N-O-W, is a personal discussion of his family's drug addiction. His other films include Flamenco, A Personal Journey, and Being in the World. Tao founded L-A-F-C-O, the Los Angeles Filmmaker Cooperative, a bohemian collective of filmmakers and musicians who work off a converted school bus and made the film Behind the Wheel. Tao right now has presented a Kickstarter campaign for his new film, Monogamish, the movie. So, Tao, do you say monogamish or monogamish? Monogamish. Monogamish, okay. Instead of monogamous, it's monogamish. Oh, I thought it was monogamish. <laughs> no, it's monogamish. It's a word founded by Dan Savage, who's a you know very famous sex advice columnist syndicated all over the country, and he's written several books, and he invented this word, monogamish, to say that maybe we should be a little bit more flexible in our, in our sense of monogamy and not completely toss it out, as they, you know, many people advocated in the 60s. Uh, but just like with psychedelics, there's kind of a more nuanced and, and uh, considered approach to this, these, 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 uh, these topics that were first kind of smashed through in the 60s, and then there was a reaction, I think, and it, we swung back, you know, the 80s were more like the 50s in a way. Uh, and now there's this kind of uh, slightly more considered approach where we say, well, maybe we can have the best of both worlds. Maybe we can have long-term partnerships with people, and we can be committed, and we can have a sense of the family and, and, and things that people might... Uh, you know, like, but at the same time, maybe we can be a little bit more flexible about it. And that's where he invented the word to say we should be a little bit monogamish. I think the word's interesting for another reason. I mean, that's, yes, that's one way of looking at relationships amongst many. But I, I, I decided to call the movie monogamish because I think that the culture has this, on the whole, is monogamish. I think we have this uneasy tension between... Uh, an ideal that's presented to us in media and, and, and every so 
song and movie of like this, you know, the finding the one, and then also acknowledging the fact that we have other desires and, you know, uh, that life is much more complicated. So I think that whether we think so or not, we are monogamish. That's a wonderful word, and uh, I like to read uh, Dan Savage's column in our um, Santa Fe newspaper here. Um, this is a fantastic topic because just like there are people of the younger generation who are reinterpreting the whole psychedelic uh, situation, effects and value, I'm so happy that there are younger people. You're a 39-year-old philosopher. You studied philosophy at Berkeley. Um who is reevaluating this um, the situation that is so is so bizarre? Uh, what did you find out? Are we like dolphins or are we not? Well, I, I my personal take is as a philosopher is that there's no fixed human nature, and I think you can only go so far in in saying what are we really, you know. Um, I think that, and I think that that's a misguided way to look at it. I think that we, what, what's interesting is, yes, we can see what our natural inclinations are, but what's great about being human is that you can take a stand, uh, both as an individual and as a culture on your nature, right? And so we, we do that in many ways, right? I mean, obviously we have to eat in order to survive, but eating goes way beyond survival. And our, our meals are some of the most memorable and important parts of our days and of our lives, especially, you know, as, as Europeans, right? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, sure. it's almost, a, it's almost a, a, a sacrament, right, to sit yes. at the table. So, um, so I think that, 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 that sex and relationships should be seen in a similar way, that yes, of course, there's a biological um, uh, imperative there, and there is the need to procreate, and but that it's so much more than that. And um, and and Christopher Ryan, who wrote the best-selling book uh, *Sex at Dawn*, he's 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 in the film, mm-hmm. and you know he talks about the fact that only one out of every hundred, at the most, sex acts are for procreation, and this is even before uh, you know the invention of the birth control pill or or, you know, before modern times, human beings engage in sexual acts for many more reasons than just to have children, right? They, 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 it's to create a bond with somebody, it's to, it's to resolve conflicts, it's to, uh, for any number of reasons. How about so, pleasure? Oh, How about pleasure? Pleasure, of course, <laughs> <laughs> the most important. So, so I think that Rather than ask, like, what are we really like? Are we more like a dolphin? Are we more like a monkey? Are we more like, mm-hmm. you know, I say, let's be human and, and let's, let's uh, 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 embrace our, our very deep and complex ways of relating to one another uh, uh, in, uh, sexually and in, in, in our relationships. And that the movie is, a, is an attempt to just it's not to prescribe some answer. There's no, I, I, I'm not that presumptuous. I'm not going to tell you how sure. to have a relationship. What I hope to do is uh, just uh, uh, give people tools to have a more uh, nuanced conversation about this and hopefully strip away some of the shame that people have felt That's right. uh, uh, around this issue. You know, So I think that there's been a lot of people, uh, it, it's kind of been like a, 
quo and you don't question it and 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 monogamy has been presented as this ideal that is very taboo to question it isn't it and so so i just hope that people can talk to one another and figure out what works for them and that'll be different for different people obviously well on the kickstarter page uh and uh, the kickstarter page is called monogamish the movie uh, there is a a small trailer, and uh, it's very exciting because it shows the 1950s, the, the scene in the 1950s, and then it shows a couple of people that are even older than me who are saying, uh, the man saying, "I never, I never even thought of the idea that I could be with somebody else," yep. and so on. So. Your idea for the film started with your breakup with your wife. And uh, I was wondering if you wanted to say something about the, the pain that you went through and how it, uh, it blossomed into a creative project. Well, yeah, I've, I've often seen filmmaking as a kind of way to work through things in life that confused me. So it started out with um, with uh, turning the camera on my mother and father and brother to talk about their drug use, and I, I, I learned a lot. You know, in the '60s there was this idea of cinema verite that mm-hmm. uh, you know we could just uh, if only if only the camera person could be uh, a fly on the wall, completely objective, and capture life as if he wasn't there. You know, and right. a lot of interesting films came out of that. There was, I think, a, a realization that uh, you're pretending to, uh, something by doing that because the camera person is there and yeah. the camera person is uh, a, an active uh, uh, kind of catalyst to something happening. So then I think it was Jean Rouge in the 70s said, um, you know, we should look at how a, a documentary filmmaker opens up a space for a truth that wouldn't otherwise happen if it weren't for the camera, right? So you get a kind of... Uh, acknowledgement of the great thing that happens when you turn the camera on someone and start asking them questions and maybe people open up even more than they would and you have conversations that go deeper than they otherwise would just like me and you are having now like we we're doing it for this podcast but yeah. maybe if we we're just having a chat on the phone we wouldn't go as deep into these things right of course, of so course. It, it ends up being like a a great uh, a space is opened up for that and so I, I i discovered that early on as a filmmaker that i could Turn the camera on people and 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 use that as a way to have a real conversation. So, so I, I, as I said, my, my my first one of my first films was asking very straightforward questions about uh, my mother and father and brother's relationship to their drug use, and it was interesting because they all three had the problem, but they all had completely different attitudes and stances towards it. And of course, they came from three different generations because. My father was born in 1924, and right. he, uh, you know, he was a heroin addict in the 30s, and then he met Jean Cocteau, and Cocteau taught him about opium, and yes. he, he, he was able to switch from this, um, you know, kind of horrible plastic needle in, stuck in a bathroom all the time to, like, the whole culture of opium, and he went to Thailand and, and, and learned about the whole culture, and then I was born in born Thailand. in Bangkok. I was born in Bangkok because of that, and then... My mother, you know, was 32 years younger than my father, and she had a completely different experience than my little brother had another, another experience. So 
again, it goes back to what I was saying before, that each, you could have the same phenomenon, but have very different uh, approaches to it, and how, depending on that approach, it's like how the, the phenomenon shows up for you, right? So, um, anyway, so then, so that was one, one film I made, uh, and then that turned into my first feature film, which was called Fix, which was kind of a, a narrative I liked it. telling of the same story with my brother. Um, and, and, and I made that with, with, um, with my ex-wife, and who was also an actress, and we, we, we did like 36 different film festivals and traveled around the world with the movie and everything, and that was wonderful. Um, anyway, so then after I got divorced, after 10 years with this woman, um, uh, you know, very wonderful years, it just caused me to question this ideal of marriage Especially when you see that the whole the whole uh, institution of divorce has kind of been set up to to be like inherently conflictual. It's it, it, it's set up to bring in people who uh, uh, you know have can make a lot of money from people not getting along with each other. Right. I realized you know that my own first memories in life were of my parents splitting up and how painful that was as a memory right. and um so i realized that you know we, we tend to take for granted this one way of doing things in culture and that it's you know we've come such a long way which we have you know from the 1950s let's say like you said you know i i talk about that in the film but we have to always question the way things are now and see how in 50 years from now they're going to look back on this time and say, well, you know, they had it really, you know, there were a lot of things wrong with it. So uh, so I started to really question the underpinnings of this institution of marriage. Like, where did it come from? Where did, uh, uh, where is the gap between the ideal and the reality of what people are living? And, um, so I went back to Italy, and my family goes back a thousand years, you know, in, in, in Italy, in a straight line to my father from the year 800. And I, I, I went to, you know, our family has a, uh, a castle outside of Rome, and I talked to my cousin Claudia, who's an amazing kind of, you know, charismatic, funny character. Mm-hmm. And rather than have an academic telling of the historical facts that marriage used to be to consolidate power and marriage used to be, you know, to Propriety. bring together and had nothing to do with love. Right. Uh, you know, I, I got to have a really firsthand experience and a firsthand telling of what marriage used to look like before love had anything to do with it. Mm. And um, anyway, so the, 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 the impetus for making the film was this difficult, personal, painful thing, but I used it as a way to... To, to ask bigger questions that apply to everybody. And so I have a kind of personal tale through it, but, um, but it's a very universal theme, obviously, right? Okay, so let's see. Have you, in the course of making the film or in your life, have you run across people who were able to free each other from monogamy and yet... Uh, stay in an exclusive love relationship? Absolutely. I met many people like that. Wow. And that's what, it was very interesting that, and, you know, that there's, again, it's a very subtle and nuanced thing, and, and it's very easy to think in, in, in two broad strokes when you see people have found all sorts of interesting arrangements, you know? There's people who have been together 40 years and, you know, stop having sex with each other. There's a great, uh, a 
unfortunately, I didn't get him in my film before he died, but I, I saw this documentary on Gore Vidal. Yes, yes, the great that. phrase, yeah. What's the best way to stay together for 40 years? Don't have sex. Yeah, because you can have sex with everybody except the person you're with. <laughs> but, you know, it's something that sounds so shocking, but then, then he has a very logical reason. He says, you know, one person's going to want it more than the other, and it gets complicated, and it's, it's much easier to, like, outsource that aspect in order to get along and stay together. So there's, I mean, that's just one example amongst dozens of possible ways of arranging our relationships. And, and, and again, my goal is to open up a space where people can be aware that there are other ways of looking at this, right? There isn't just a one-size-fits-all answer. And especially marriage is interesting because it's one, it's one contract that you sign. And most people don't even think of it as a contract, but a lawyer I spoke to in the movie says, uh, you know, it's the most important contract you're going to sign in your life. And most people don't read it over as carefully as they do their cell phone contract. So um, we have this very uneasy marriage, pun intended, uh, uh, of many considerations when we get married. So there's a financial consideration. There's a sexual consideration. There's an emotional one. There's the idea of raising children together. There's the idea of health insurance. There's the idea of living together. There's the idea of bringing your families together. There's the idea of bringing your friends together. All of these things, and most people don't discuss each of these things. They just think, oh, we're in love. Let's get married, right? Yeah. So uh, it's just, uh, and, and it's amazing how taboo the subject is. It's amazing how difficult it is even in our own and it, you know, it exists both on a personal and a kind of larger socioeconomic level. This this question, right? And it's amazing how taboo it still is. So even how often do you hear people at a dinner party saying, "I'm having trouble with monogamy"? You know, like people don't don't even they can't even talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's not just taboo. It's just it's, it's too complicated. Yeah, so maybe there's a certain degree which maybe you shouldn't talk too much. There's a, that's another interesting question like, yeah. that I encountered in yeah. the movie. Is that there's a whole movement of people um, uh, in the kind of polyamory world, which is fascinating. You know, there's this kind of whole movement of people and, yeah. and community of people uh, who, you know, have multiple relationships. And they're key, they're, the key to it is constant communication and talking about things. And I have... Uh, you know, some reservations about that because sometimes you can over, you know, overanalyze something and, and therefore, you know, maybe you have to keep a little bit of mystery in, in, in our relationships as well. So it's very complicated, isn't it? That's how a lot of uh, marriages uh, in my generation worked uh, in Europe is that nobody wanted to know anything about what was going on outside the, the, outside the marriage. And so everything was fine. Well, of course, but the problem with that arrangement is that it favored men. Uh, yeah, well, you're right. You're well, right. You know, but now as we have you know greater and greater gender equality, hopefully, then that, those roles can shift, and it doesn't just. Dan Savage says in the film, you know, what, what what went wrong is that you know monogamy for men was never expected, and it was expected for women That's for right. a very simple reason, which is that men, with the advent of private property, there was the desire to make sure that uh, men's property was passed on to their own children, right? So if you look at tribes that don't have private property, like pre-agricultural tribes that still exist and, you know, 
even. Wherever there's no private property, there's no monogamy for women. Women are allowed to be as promiscuous as they like, and, um, and there's even an idea that's discussed in the film of partible paternity, which means that every, uh, that, and this exists in various tribes that have no connection to each other, but there's this idea that if a woman is pregnant, she should have sex with as many men as possible because each of these men will contribute something of his essence to the child and therefore <laughs> also be responsible for the child to a certain degree when the child is born, right? Yeah, protection. So people think that, that monogamy, you know, there's this kind of pop Darwinian, very superficial idea uh, that says, oh, well, man just wants to spread his seed and, and have sex with as many women as possible. A woman just wants safety and security and to be at home with the children and needs a man to be as monogamous as possible just to have, give her that sense of security. But that's not true. That only depends on a system where women are depending on men financially uh, to have, uh, and therefore, of course, they're going to be jealous and, 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 and possessive because, you know, if, if, losing, if they're depending on one man to have, you know, be the father of their children, also to be the, uh, you know, sole economic uh, source of food and shelter, then of course there's going to be this kind of possessiveness. But if, if, if there's a community taking care of children and if they know that their children are going to be taken care of, you know, studies now are showing that women are as desirous of novelty and, uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, promiscuity as men are. I know. So I mean, years of fame that 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 makes that very difficult to express, right? I know, but it's the it's the emotional part of it. It's uh, it's the childhood imprint. It's uh, it's the it's the fear that uh, that you're going to lose the the exclusivity with each other. The, I mean. We know uh, how we feel when we have fantastic sex with somebody. Most of the time, we feel like being with them twenty-four hours a day. Then, what yeah. happens to the to the partner? You know. Yeah, and again, it's not. I don't want to. I don't want to. I haven't. I don't want. A monogamish is not. It's not about polyamory. Not complete. We do like to pair up with each other. We do like to have meaningful, committed relationships with each other, and. And I, I don't think we have we should ignore that, right? Like, I mean, if we were completely non-monogamous, we wouldn't be asking these questions at all, right? Yeah, exactly. Moving from one impulse to another and having our, you know, but we do have uh, 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 there's an attraction to that, and I think that again, like we were talking about earlier, there's there's this more subtle consideration of these issues today in this younger generation that does say we should preserve. Uh, we shouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? We should we should try and preserve the depth and the, the the real kind of emotional growth that comes from being with somebody, and we shouldn't maybe just run off with everything that you know everybody that uh, that feels like and that you know how it feels in that second. So uh, again, there's no easy answers here. I don't pretend to have gotten the answer, but I think that I've uh, watched making the film, and hopefully people who watch the film will have the, uh, a, a deeper understanding of all the things that play into this. And, and what was interesting is that I realized early on that I couldn't talk to just one type of expert for this, right? Mm-hmm. Marriage, uh, like we said, it has all these different facets. So I had to talk to lawyers. I had to talk to anthropologists. I had to talk to sex therapists. I had to talk to historians. I had to talk to, you know, um, a sociologists. Uh, each, each person had a different uh, um, 
aspects. Yeah. A different kind of uh, point of view that's added to a more complete picture of all of these questions. Well, I think uh, Esther Perel's view is uh, really gaining a lot of um, a lot of play with people. People are recognizing a lot about themselves in Esther Perel's work. Absolutely, she's wonderful, and she's mm-hmm. in the film. She gave a you know a TED talk that has I think now over five million views. She wrote a great book called Mating in Captivity. Yeah, and she has this really uh, eloquent way of explaining this fundamental conflict that exists in human beings. And you see it in children very early on, that on the one hand, we want safety, we want security, we want predictability, we want all of these uh, kind of nurturing uh, aspects that a relationship can give us, and we see it at first with our parents. And at the same time, we also want the unknown and the mysterious, and we want to venture out into the world and see what's there, right? And so these are these are inherently conflict, conflicting impulses in us. And the sooner we acknowledge that these uh, these two things aren't uh, easy to uh, to bring together into one, especially one person, right? Because yeah. now nowadays, what Esther Perel says is that we're asking one person to be all of these things. I want you to be my comfort and my, uh, you know, and, and I want you to know you deeply and I want you to know me deeply. At the same time, I want you to be, you know, this erotic, mysterious yeah. creature. And if we think that if there's if the person isn't providing that or we're not providing that for the other, there's something wrong with us without understanding that there, there's, an, there's an essential conflict there. And so she says it's not something that we resolve is the paradox that we manage. And I think that's great. Well, I have to say, I I was uh, friends with your father. I saw him a lot growing up in uh, Monte Carlo. And uh, he was definitely one of the sexiest men around. Uh, I don't know uh, how much uh, his... He just had enormous, enormous charm. Uh, Yeah. But he wasn't. I mean, he got he got married about three times, didn't he? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing. Like, for instance, I've been married several times, and uh, it seems to be because we we want to have a tribe, we want to have a a family. Yeah, and we want and we want some degree of security and and predictability in our lives. So tell me. The the main question is, what have you found out about uh, why are relationships hard? Well, again, I I, 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 I haven't solved it. I, this is not going to be... If there, if there were a solution, somebody would have come up with it way before me. <laughs> um, I think that my, my lesson in all of this is we have to embrace the process. And the more... Uh, the more yeah, but in the process, we break up with people we adore and we worshipped, and then and then we're I, gone. I, it's I, gone, and it's terrible. So, yeah. No, I, I think sorry, I think that there's in addition to the process, we have to also acknowledge that there's something wrong with the system the way it is now. It's not okay that fifty percent of kids are having their first memories. You know, these these horrible breakups with their parents, that people are bringing, you know, uh, legal fights into their relationships, that people are, you know, having these kind of devastating experiences. I don't think that has to be that way. And I think that there's 
There's other ways to do things. There's been times, uh, obviously, that were more stable, but women were subjugated. And yeah. so we have to reinvent constantly what how relationships are structured. And I do think there's uh, something in the zeitgeist right now saying, what is the next step in our evolution of these types of things? And how can we learn from... There's a reason, I think, that these kind of tribal... Uh, you know, pre-agricultural things are resonating with us more today than ever before, and it's technology, ironically, mm-hmm. paradoxically. Because, and I think, uh, I think it was Terence McKenna who said, uh, you know, technology is a boundary-dissolving uh, entity, oh, just like psychedelics are, right? I and, hadn't heard and so that when one. You see yeah. Cultures that were less boundary-defined. Um, we're going back to that a little bit, hopefully, right? So there's, there's, there's a sense of like walls breaking down and, and of, of, of having a little bit more fluidity in our, in our gender identity, in our sexuality, in our ways that we, 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 we pair up with each other. And, and as, as, um, these boundaries start to break down, we're going to look back to times that were less boundary defined and find inspiration there. So I don't think, I think that there was, in the 60s, it was too uh, radical and too too uh, kind of traumatic to kind of just say, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I obviously have, we haven't talked about this, but I'm very deep into the, the, the life of Timothy Leary. I don't know, do you know this? I've, you know, written a screenplay on his life. I know, I know, yeah. And, and and produced a film, uh, dying to know of, of you know his last days with Ramdas and and um, yes, so I, I, I do know that. Fascinating, looking back and listening to his lectures from 1965, they're truly shocking today to hear somebody who's a professor saying, you know, uh, uh, everybody should quit their jobs, everyone should drop out of school, nobody over 40 should be allowed to vote, and you can understand why coming out of that such a repressive time of the 1950s that there was this idea of we have to just break down all boundaries, smash through everything, and just like uh, uh, there's nothing worth keeping from that. And I, I can sympathize with that. But I think, again, with psychedelics, with sex, with all of these things, now there's a, there's a careful reconsideration. Because then when, when it swung back, uh, there was a total rejection of that, and you hear people saying, "Oh, well, free love doesn't work," and 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 psychedelics just made people crazy, and there was a total dismissal of 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 Leary and all of these people. And now there's a resurgence of these ideas, but again, with more experience behind us, and 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 hopefully a little more wisdom as a culture, right? Well, I think it's uh, because. Um you see, the the atom bomb and the H-bomb had just been dropped, and so we came to the place where we absolutely hit bottom, like uh, like uh, uh, drug addicts at at a grand, at an t- absolutely enormous, uh, gigantic scale. And so we, we touched bottom with those bombs, killing us, knowing that we could kill ourselves. And so therefore... Of course, it wasn't working, and I think Timothy saw that very clearly, and that everything had to change. and And you know, giving in to all and every desire when uh, when we were young, sexually, was pretty amazing. I have to say, I look back, and uh, 
uh, I see that you talk somewhere about the fact that, uh, or were you, did you read somewhere that uh, the average woman had had four relationships before marriage or four sexual encounters, men six? Uh, I feel really great that I was able to um, to to uh, savor this cornucopia of uh, of sexual encounters. Now it might not have been the most fulfilling thing emotionally, but it certainly was um, incredibly pleasurable. Yeah. So again, I, I, I again I, I, I have great sympathy for for that time. I'm very attracted to it and I just I just hope you know, my grandfather Billy, my mother's father had a commune. In, in the early 70s in Triano, you know, on the Mountain Coast. And, you know, they took all the locks off of the doors and there was, you know, anybody could come and stay and it was totally free love. And, you know, he had three children with three different women around the same time. And, um, you know, part of me finds that very attractive. And I, I just would like to, but I, I, I would like to learn the best of... of yeah, to bring... Emotional stability into this wildness. I I completely agree. Uh, it's a fantastic question, Tao, uh, to bring up. It's, it's and I hope that in addition to the film, there will be discussions and uh, you know encounters of people talking and maybe revealing themselves because uh, this is a very important subject to bring out of the darkness. Wonderful, wonderful rewards. Yes, I, yeah, I, I, that's 
the other nice thing is it's, it's a quid pro quo. It's not it's not asking for something for charity like we do give uh, great things. Uh, and you'll see if you just Google monogamish Kickstarter, yeah, uh, you can find it easily. And and I, I really appreciate you, Joanna, talking to me and and reaching out to your listeners and stuff to to get them. Again, even if you just give a dollar, I really appreciate it because it's. Uh, you know, it'll also keep you in the mix as far as knowing when the film will come out, you'll get on our mailing list, stuff like that. And it's so much fun. It's so much fun to be part of a project. Um, I love it every time I sponsor a project. Even sometimes I do it for $5. And yeah. just to watch watch the project develop and know that you're a part of it just feels wonderful. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I, I think it's fantastic. I was a little bit skeptical of it at first. I didn't know, you know, like, um, if it would be successful or if it would be, people would be annoyed by being asked. But instead, it, there's a real, like you say, there's a pleasure also in giving to a project like this or any project that you believe in because you're participating. And it's a, filmmaking is a, I, I say it in the, in the Kickstarter video, but it's, it's, filmmaking is a collaborative process. It's nice. It's not, you're not a poet. It's just your pencil or your pen in front of a paper. You have to work with other people. And that's one of the most wonderful things about it. And, um, and, and the interactions you have, whether it's our conversation right now or interviews that we've had or, or collaborations I have with editors and, and cinematographers and all of this, uh, all of these become meaningful interactions that lead to a real uh, depth of connection. So there are already 270 backers. And yep. the film is... Monogamish, mon, monogamish. <laughs> my my European accent just comes in on that one, but monogamish, and uh, just do it. Come in uh, and be one of the people who um, who's carrying this project out into the world. Thank you so much, Carl, for being with us today. I really re- really appreciate it. Wonderful. Bye bye.